Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the Central New York Airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into the fourth episode of Former Fizz. I'm your host, Jaron May, and throughout this interview series, I talk with previous Orange Fizz staff writers about their time on the Hill in SU Sports during those four years. And today I have a very special guest, one of the founding members of OrangeFizz.net, a student from 2006 to 2010, Mike Cousins. Mike, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, my pleasure. So, again, like I said, this should be fun, but the time that we're working with on this episode is 2006 to 2010, so we're going back a couple years. And, Mike, let's start on the basketball side of things. You were blessed with a good stretch of teams, rosters, individual players, games, and complete seasons. So my first question, just to get the ball rolling, what is what was campus like when basketball season rolled around each year? Well, it was awesome. So my first year was actually 2007. I got there in the fall of 2007. So I only spent three and a half years on campus. So technically, I'm part of the graduating class of 2010. But really, everybody that I came in with is the graduating class of 2011. So I was just an overachiever in high school. That's (laughs) all. (laughs) Uh, But basketball season was great. I had a a different experience than 99.9% of my classmates in that I was a basketball manager when I started on campus. That was one of the first things that I did because one of my high school assistant coaches from my high school basketball team had a connection at SU and allowed me to get in there as a manager. So I did that from right when I got on campus in August um, all the way through about February of that year. So I didn't finish the entire basketball season because I realized that my real pers- my pursuits that made me happy were in working at WAER and working at Z89. Um, but that was really awesome to be on the inside of that and see how Jim Beheim ran his program and to be able to, you know, forge relationships with Mike Hopkins, now at Washington, and Rob Murphy, who's now at Eastern Michigan, um, and to understand what a major Division One basketball program runs like. And granted, they're all different. Syracuse's is a little bit more uh, like an NBA-style program. You know, they don't shoot around on game day. The coaches aren't lording over every little thing that every player does, which is the case at some other programs. Um, But it's great because there's no atmosphere like Syracuse basketball because there are few, if any, programs in the country that are the draw where they are. Every year, Syracuse and Kentucky are one and two in attendance in college basketball in some form or fashion. Um, so there's just, there's no experience like it for me, even I think at a, at a pro sporting event, I don't think anything compares to that atmosphere at the dome on a really big game day. So you obviously got to experience quite a few big game days in the dome. Um, and during your three and a half years on the Hill, Syracuse really never lost more than 14 games in a single season. They, they put together some great runs. Uh, plus they made it to a handful of sweet 16 runs. So, of those four years with all of those different rosters and all of those different talents, which team do you think was the best? Uh, I, for me, I guess, I don't, I don't know which was the best, but the one that I had the most fun watching, I think, was the one that was part of the uh, incoming freshman class with me because there was just so much promise and so much hype. You know, Syracuse year in and year out is not a school that is taking the – 
top of the heap and the and, and is loaded up with McDonald's All Americans. Right. They do best when they get you know the three year and the four year guys. So the the guys that were the most fun for me were guys like Dante Green and Johnny Flynn. And Green stayed for one year, Flynn stayed for two. Um, but I, I think I, I just had the most connection with those guys. One because I was on the floor with them and in practice and got to know them a little bit off the court. But also because those are really highly touted guys. Johnny Flynn came from the same. Uh, area as Paul Harris, who was on the team as well, and uh, Dante Flynn was a McDonald's All-American out of Baltimore, which was what the city that produced Carmelo Anthony, arguably the, the greatest player uh, in program history. So that's that's just the team that sticks in my mind the most. That my freshman year, they ended up going to the NIT. I believe they lost to Rhode Island. So it was uh, it was an off par year, if you will, for Syracuse basketball, um, but one that definitely uh, is deeply ingrained in my memory. Right. Uh, you also got to be exp- so you had an NIT there, but you also had some March Madness runs in Sweet Sixteen. And as a student journalist, whether it be at Z eighty nine or WAR, when you got to cover those games, how special and how cool was it to experience a Sweet Sixteen game? It's phenomenal because you feel like you have made it to the big time. At, you know, at both of those stations, you go and you cover road games, but usually you're stuck in the rafters. And at the Dome, uh, interestingly enough, there was a time where the WAER radio position, which is right behind the TV broadcast position courtside, was moved to a scissor lift to the side of the bleachers that are pulled from the opposite end zone uh, toward the court. And there was a big fight over it, and a lot of alumni got involved, and with the, uh, the right amount of pushback, the administration moved WAER back to courtside. So you always you know that you are at a special school when they value the student journalist enough to put them down there at a special table. You go other places, and you're calling the game from basically the ceiling of the arena. But when you're at the Sweet 16, you know that you're there with national writers. And you know I think for a lot of us who worked in student media, it wasn't necessarily the athletes who we were geeked out to to see or meet, but it was the national sportscasters and sports writers who were really cool for us to see. So when you got to go see the guys from CBS who are calling the game. And if Jim Nance was doing the game, you know, that's how you know it's a really big game. And it's just a much bigger feeling. And when you're 18, 19, 20, or 21, the trips were a lot more fun if you were 21. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it was just, it was an unreal experience because, you know, that when you get out of college, you're going to be starting back at the, the bottom of the ladder and that those experiences may not come your way, you know, for a long time, if ever again. Right. And, of course, you also covered quite a few of those games for the Orange Fizz. And during this former Fizz series, I've been asking all of my guests, and I want to ask you this same question, if you could put together a starting five with players just from when you were on campus, who would be in that starting five and why? So I would go with Dion Waiters, Johnny Flynn, Arinze Onuwaku, who got injured on that on that NCAA tournament run, that I think they could have been a national championship team, uh, and I'm not really picking for a, a, probably a matched starting five. Okay. Um, I would take Dante Green because he was a great scorer, and Andy Routens. Okay. And I think those guys. I, I don't even know if I have enough forwards or guards on there, but those are the, the top five guys that come to mind for me, just because I feel like they had the best natural instinct, and, and any of those guys alone could be a really key player, but if you put them all together, it's a great team. You know, you look at teams over the last five years and the biggest piece they've been missing is a center. They really haven't had 
uh, you know, great centers in the last decade. Lorenzo Onowaku was great. Rakeem Christmas has been uh, was great for them. Uh, but that's a position where they've been lacking. And so, um, you know, Orenze was you know, the best guy when I was there for sure. All right. Uh, let's also switch over to actually let's let's I have one more basketball question just because you mentioned that you were one of the managers for the team. Uh, I want to know, do you have any funny or classic Jim Bayheim stories from when you were a student? So the managerial core was pretty big when I was there. We probably had between 10 to 15 guys and a couple girls who were in the group. Mm -hmm. And so the interactions that we had were mostly with the players and with the assistant coaches. And so the minimal interactions I have two that I ever had with Jim Beheim <laughs> were one when I was rebounding uh, before practice and a ball went long off the rim and went over my head. And I said, heads up coach. And he was talking to somebody else and didn't turn around and just bounced off of him. So those are the only words I've ever spoken with Jim Beheim. <laughs> but the physical interaction that I had with Jim Beheim was I was standing underneath the basket about on the baseline. And he was leading the team through a half-court exercise. And I happened to be somewhat in his path where he was walking. So as he came by, he was talking and looking out toward the court and just kind of Heismaned me out of the way and gave me a stiff arm and just kept on walking. And so those are my two most notable interactions. And I shouldn't say most notable, but really only interactions with Jim Beheim from my time as a freshman year manager. Okay. All right. What about during while you were uh, part of the press? Any Anything that stands out in a press conference? Because you, you always see these uh, examples of Beheim just really getting after one of the reporters or kind of just giving a snide comment. Did you have any of those interactions, whether it be a question that you asked or you were just in the room when he answered someone else's? I don't think I ever actually had the guts to ask a question. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking back on this uh, a few weeks ago for whatever reason, and I was talking about it to my wife and explaining the whole thing to her. And I really don't think uh, I ever had the gall to ask a question. And like, I know, I feel like I know basketball pretty well. I've played it most of my life, but I'm still scared that something that I think is a good question will be shot down as a bad question. I do remember one of my classmates asked a question saying something about rebounding adjustments and you know it's whether it's a good day or a bad day sometimes you could ask a dumb question and still get a good answer but i guess this was a dumb question on a bad day and this was when buddy and jimmy were really young maybe in elementary school and Beheim does the head scratch and goes hey buddy what what are rebounding adjustments and so basically throwing the guy who asked the question under the bus. Um, and so his, his kids always sat in the front row because nobody wanted to sit in the front row, right. uh, except for Mike Waters, very brave to sit in the front row. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's my, my biggest press conference memory. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, let's move over to the football side of things. And the glaring storyline when you look at SU on the gridiron when you were a student uh, is the head coach, Greg Robinson, and any Syracuse football fan knows just how bad Robinson was at the helm of the program, but not everyone got to experience it as a student and as a student journalist like yourself. So tell me, just how miserable was Syracuse football when Robinson was the head man? So let's go back to my freshman year. Okay. And as an enthusiastic incoming student, I bought season tickets because I figured, hey, you know, it's a, it's a, major division one football program it's going to be really exciting to go and watch and go to the games and be a part of campus life that way yep so 
my roommate and I went to the first game at the Dome, which was a season opener against Washington, which was quarterbacked by Jake Locker. And it is just an absolute massacre. The Orange with no shot to win that game. So we turn to each other at halftime and we go, let's get out of here. And I don't know what frat house we ended up at, but that's where we spent the rest of our night. And to the best of my recollection, I did not go to another game as a student, <laughs> except for as a as a fan. I only went as member of the student media. So it was – and there was a, the game um, – I want to say it was Taj Smith – maybe who made a great over-the-shoulder catch and, and Syracuse beat Louisville and it was a massive upset my freshman year. That was maybe in October. Uh, but there were very few highlights of the Greg Robinson era overall. <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 the biggest moment, we were just talking about press conferences that stands out, is Greg Robinson's last press conference where he was leaving and he recited verbatim from Wikipedia words about the little engine that could. <laughs> And he did ask Matt Park what the engine said. And Matt replied, I think I can. And it's still on YouTube, actually. And it was just a really bizarre moment that the head coach would ask the team's broadcaster to recite a line from a children's book as he's getting fired. And it was his belief that the Syracuse football program was still gaining momentum. It was climbing uphill, however slowly, clearly too slowly for Daryl Gross's liking. Um, so I, I was not at that one, but then uh, Doug Marone came in, and uh, my only real notable moment with Doug Marone was I would go with myself and David Resnick, who was the sports director at WAER and a year older than me, and we would go to the Monday Doug Marone press conference, and I, we didn't need two people to go. Only one person needed to go to record the audio. I went because technically I was there covering it, but there was also a free lunch afterwards, <laughs> and so... As a cash-strapped student, that was a quite appealing uh, option for me. But I did ask Marone, because even now, I never like to ask the kind of generic sports questions of, oh, how did it feel, and what do you think are going to be the challenges this week against West Virginia? Like, who cares? That's whatever. That's generic sports stuff. Mm -hmm. So I asked Doug Marone, when he gets home at night after a game, what does he do? And it led to him revealing that he likes to drink a Gatorade and eat a bologna and cheese sandwich. And that has really taken off in Doug Marone lore wherever he's gone, whether it's been Buffalo or Jacksonville. And so uh, little known that uh, I would like to put that on my tombstone that <laughs> I got Doug Marone first to talk about his habit of eating a bologna and cheese sandwich. Well, we uh, that is now here in former Fizz uh, in the audio. So there you go. Mike Cousins brought up the bologna sandwich first with Doug Marone. Uh, Mike, let's talk about something that maybe doesn't always get talked about. When you talk about the Big East, and that's where Syracuse was when you were on campus, a lot of the attention gets put on Big East basketball and how great it was and how competitive and blah, blah, blah. But not a lot of focus gets put on Big East football. So my question to you is, do you think the Big East back then in football was just as good as the current ACC football is? No, I, I think the current ACC now, and it's hard to say because like the ACC now is pretty top-heavy where it's Clemson and then whomever in a given year, you know, you would expect Florida State to be there on an almost annual basis with the exception of a, a little hiccup in the road as of late. Um, you know, West Virginia was, was really good at the time. Um, Syracuse was decent. South Florida reached, I believe, number two uh, 
uh, in the national rankings, which is just hard to imagine now that a, a team from the current uh, American Athletic Conference would get that high in the polls with the exception of UCF really having a great um, couple of seasons with Scott Frost. Um, but I think I would give the nod to the current ACC. Um, and one of my laments, too, from being a student also was how, that I didn't have a great idea of what was going on outside of campus. And I mean that to say for the greater Big East and then the national picture as well. And the real reason behind that, I think, is that I grew up in White Plains. New York. So it's a suburb suburb of New York City, about 25 miles north. And so in the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, you have, I think it's eight pro sports teams between all the major leagues. And so I grew up as a big Mets fan and I kept up with the Jets and the Giants and the Knicks and, you know, hockey to a lesser extent, just not one of the sports that I always enjoyed. And so I never really paid great attention to college sports and I never really paid great attention to the larger world outside of Syracuse athletics when I was a student. And that was one of the big hurdles that I had to overcome when I started working for ESPN in 2014 was getting the lay of the land of college football. And not only who are the current stars, who are the head coaches, what are their personalities, what are their backstories, but also about the history of the sport and what is the BCS and what's this talk about the college football playoff. So, you know, if I could go back and do that again, I think I would gain a greater picture of what's going on. But I wasn't prescient at 18 or 19 to live beyond the bubble that I was in on the SU Hill. And what were we doing on Thursday night and who's going to Chuck's and, you know, what's going on on Euclid Avenue uh, to really think about things outside of Syracuse football and Syracuse basketball. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, now, I, I, I want to get into some of these standout players that when you were on the Hill, just to give our listeners uh, a little look at who you were watching when you were a student. So who were some of those big name guys on the football field that really stood out to you? Well, let's see. Quarterbacks, I remember Andrew Robinson, Cam Dantley, and then uh, we also had Greg Paulus for his graduate student year. Uh, as quarterback, which was an okay season. It, it wasn't my first choice, but I understand why Doug Marone did it because there were younger, less experienced options behind Paulus, who was only going to be there for one year. Right. But Marone needed something to stabilize the program. And so, in, you know, in, in retrospect, that choice makes sense. DeLon Carter was a really good running back. You had um, Chandler Jones, who's had a really great career in the NFL. Uh, Mike Robinson was uh, one of the really good wide receivers. Um, who else? Rob Long, you know, the punter who has survived brain cancer and has become a really great advocate for cancer research and raising funds. So on and off the field, you know, there were people who were, were really exceptional standouts. And, you know, I was just watching uh, yesterday the video of the 2009 Syracuse comeback in the lacrosse championship where they were down – against Cornell in the waning moments, scored a goal with fewer than 10 seconds to go to tie the game and then come back and win the thing in overtime. And so a, a funny story about that is that uh, myself and one of my classmates had to petition the SU housing department to let us remain on campus to stay and engineer the final four games and, and produce and host and all that stuff from WAER. So we were, you know, to the best of my knowledge, the last people remaining living on South Campus and we had pretty much exhausted our uh, funds for, for the school year that were in our meager checking accounts. So we lived off of Gatorade and cereal and pretzels and white bread and cold cuts and 
we played a lot of Madden and uh, we spent a lot of time at WAER. But yeah, we had to get special permission via WAER and the housing department to let us keep my uh, on-campus apartment until the lacrosse season was over. So then uh, we finished that up and uh, went off to spend our summers in the Cape Cod Baseball League. Wow, well that uh that sounds delicious what you guys were eating. So Yeah, very very nutritionally dense stuff right there. <laughs> very healthy. That college diet. Now, before we go, I have one last question for you, Mike. Uh what were and I know it's difficult to choose because you went through such a difficult time with Greg Robinson at the helm, but then you got Doug Marone. Um so what do you think was the single best game you remember from Syracuse football from when you were a student? It doesn't have to be that you were in the in the stands, but just what one game stood out to you as the best game? The best game to me would have been the fall of 2010, which was the only season that I ever I you know it's funny I called very few games for WAER, maybe two or three basketball games and only two football games because I spent my summer of 2010 as the number two announcer with the Syracuse Chiefs, now the Mets, uh, with Jason Benetti, who was the lead broadcaster there. And so that season starts in the spring and ends once, you know, it goes into the school year, which is when, as a rising senior, you begin to make your football tapes and you hope to get clear to go on the air. So I ended up getting back to school a little bit later, and so I was behind on making tapes. So I only called two games. I called a game at Cincinnati, and I called a game at West Virginia. And the game at West Virginia is the one I distinctly remember because it was a really fun trip. I think we packed like six guys to a hotel room, and the guy that I shared a bed with was like 6'5", 250. So I was just kind of toothpicked on the side of the bed, just really uh, on a, you know trying to make myself into a, a board on the end there. Um, but, you know, we, we called the game and we thought it was great. I'm sure it would sound terrible if we went back and listened to the tape. But SU came in as an underdog. And the thing that you don't get in seeing games at the Dome is the true tailgate experience that surrounds mm-hmm. a college football stadium at other campuses. Because the campus doesn't allow for that space around the Dome. There's some tailgating, but there's a lot more on Skytop, too. And so it's just not your usual college football tailgate setup and so Mm -hmm. we're at west virginia and we're driving through these legions of tents and grills and rvs and we're going oh my gosh this is amazing you know it was the first time like i said before i didn't have a lot of college sports experience before i got to college so getting to see that was like wow this is really something else and SU's an underdog going into that game they pull off the win and i come out into the hallway outside of the booth after the game and if who is there and gives me a high five about the athletic director, Daryl Gross. And he and I, through an article that I had written on the Fizz uh, earlier, I think in that year, uh, we're not on the best of terms. And so it was just a very surreal experience for me to witness the team get an upset win, have the athletic director high five me. We went out in Morgantown later that night. So all in all, just a very memorable experience in an otherwise not so memorable four years of football. Yeah. Well, hey, at least they got the win there. And, Mike, that's all I have for you. Uh, so, first off, thank you so much for joining me. And then also thank you all so much for listening in to another edition of Former Fizz. If you want to listen to previous or future episodes, search Orange Fizz on SoundCloud or by finding or the articles on orangefizz.net. But for now... 
Mike, thanks so much for joining me. Everyone else, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.